Hello and welcome to the latest Leadership in Insurance podcast. Uh, this is the podcast that brings you the latest in what it means to lead insurance businesses in 2021 and beyond. Um, we talk to a lot of InsureTech founders, um, but we also talk to all people that are of value to uh, leaders in the insurance industry. Um, and on that vein, um, we've got a brilliant guest today. I was very lucky to be joined by Marco of Retechnica. Um, now, Marco and I got in touch because of his involvement in the Lloyd's Lab. Um, and Marco was someone I really, really wanted to talk to, uh, mainly because the focus of his business previously has not been in the insurance market. Um, but uh, Retechnica is a artificial intelligence automation uh, product and service offering. Um, and they've done lots of work in different fields, um, including kind of lots of in the manufacturing field in the working with automation, artificial intelligence um, propositions in, in that place. Um, I thought it was interesting to get his view on the insurance market because he'd gone through the Lloyd's lab. So he kind of had a really good view of what the applications and opportunities could be, um, but he doesn't necessarily have skin in the game. So we get a really objective viewpoint of the challenges uh, and opportunities of automation and artificial intelligence in the insurance market. So for me, this made a really interesting discussion. Um, Marco's a great guest, which I think you'll enjoy. And um, yeah, this is Leadership Insurance Podcast, episode 18. Good morning and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky today, today to be joined by Marco from Retechnica. Um, Marco, how are you doing? Um, hello, I'm doing very well. What about yourself? Yeah, no, very good. Thank you. Uh, and thanks for spending some time. Just to let everyone in, we're, we're just at that precursor to sort of Christmas period. Um, this won't come out to the new year, but I, I very nearly put my Santa hat on today just to... Um, in the Christmas spirit, but um, I think I think the um, the world is conspiring against the Christmas spirit. So I didn't I, did, <laughs> I didn't really fancy it. But um, but for the people um, for the people listening and for the people watching, um, perhaps you can introduce uh, Retechnica and um, what it is that you guys do. Of course. So um, we may be a little unusual for this podcast because we're primarily a um, kind of an artificial intelligence company. And uh, um, we're very focused on extracting information and meaning from documents. Mm -hmm. So we built a proprietary technology that can read through text and documents and, um, and extract exactly what's relevant to our clients. And, uh, and then building on top of that a number of solutions to uh, either um, streamline processes that otherwise are very lengthy or uh, extract intelligence that can generate actionable insight. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. So I um yeah, I mean you touched it on it there actually, because I reached out to you initially because your involvement um in, in the Lloyd's lab. Um and yeah, and you were very transparent in your response and said, you know, we're not an sort of an insurance um focused um business, but I wanted to have a conversation with you about um automation and artificial intelligence, um, because obviously you had exposure to that um going through the Lloyd's lab. Um, how did you get involved with the Lloyd's Lab? What, what was the process there? Yeah, um, so what happened is that we, uh, uh, we were somehow already familiar with the company organizing the lab. And, uh, and so they just reached out. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, the lab, for that particular cohort, the lab was actually interested in kind of solutions that related to artificial intelligence. And so 
um, uh, so they reached out to us and we were happy to, to, to pitch. And in, 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 all, in all honesty, there was a fair, a fair amount of companies pitching. Uh, so I was quite surprised was, that, that we were selected. Um, what, I, what I then later found out is, was the fact that the topic definitely resonates with a whole lot of people. So uh, I'm sure your audience is familiar with this, but the way it works is essentially that uh, the lab selects a number of companies that end up pitching to members of the Lloyd's market. And what needs to happen is that a number of those members need to say, yes, I want to engage with that company. And then uh, at the end, uh, there's a selection of about 10 companies that participate in a program that is, uh, I'm going to say, 10 weeks. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and so, yeah, they were, we were lucky to have a, a fairly large number of, of uh, members of, um, of the large market that were keen to engage. And uh, it would be all kind of the companies, mostly kind of um, uh, yeah, underwriters and essentially companies that, that with names that are fairly familiar, I'll, 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 I'll keep them uh, confidential for now. But uh, yeah, but, of course. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, but but uh, all names that would be familiar to your audience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I think you must be the first person that's come on that's uh, been invited to sort of be involved and, and not really be cognizant of that of that industry, um, which is lovely. Have you been involved in other sort of innovation labs before? Um, in yes. A couple, I guess the most relevant one was the one uh, similar, but not industry focus, uh, was through with the EY, uh, Ernst & Young, the, the, you know, the accounting firm, accounting consulting firm. And, uh, um, and the logic was a bit different because obviously they don't have a, they're not a market, so it, but it was more about uh, engaging with their own client. Yes. Um, so, um, so yes, we were, fairly familiar with, uh, with the process. And it was reasonably similar in a variety of ways. Um, and, uh, and ultimately, what we had been done, uh, doing, especially in the past two or three years, was very much working with very large companies mm -hmm. to identify use cases that landed themselves to automation and, uh, and then working with the companies to, to, uh, to, to create, or as we say, co-create solutions that, that make sense for them. So that's, that's been pretty much our core business for the past three years. Mm -hmm. So that, uh, in a sense, joining the, 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 the lab was uh, um, very much applying those, those skills that we developed over those three years for, um, uh, for insurance companies, for, mm -hmm. uh, for market partic participants in particular. Mm -hmm. And, and what's, what's your background product? You've got a background in management consulting, is that, is that right? Or? That's right. So my, my personal, personally, my background is, um, well, uh, academically in a, a combination of uh, applied mathematics first and then linguistics. So funny enough, working in natural language processing it seems, seemed like a happy coincidence, but yeah, actually that, that's what happened. <laughs> Um, it wasn't by design, but, you know, and, uh, um, but then, yes, I worked as a management consultant at McKinsey and then, uh, um, soon moved to technology, working for a, for a FinTech company back in the early 2000 and then an Expedia. Then I worked as an independent consultant internationally for economic development. And then, uh, um, uh, came back to London to, to start Retechnica, um, a few years ago. And, um, uh, and the original idea was very much um, to uh, address some of the major inefficiencies, inefficiencies that I had experienced in my previous lives, 
mm-hmm. both in technology and in management consulting. Mm-hmm. And, um, and um, interestingly, as we started the company, the um, AI was still a bit of a, uh, there was a big question mark around whether or not it would work. And, and only in, in, the, in the later years, it became the buzzword that it now is. Um, and so it was quite interesting because the number of use cases were so vast, but also very unproven. It's been a, a, quite the journey to, to then uh, uh, zoom in on a few use cases that clearly um, not only deliver value, but also resonate with our audience. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 the piece of work that you commonly do, which is you know, take, taking text and, 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 and you know, artificial intelligence, using that and, and, and gathering the meaning from it um, in an automated format, um, did that come first? Was, was that the kind of product or were you offering more consultancy services around kind of um, automation and AI um, and then the product came second or, or? No, it was actually product first. So it was very, very much product first and, and then the consulting bit came later. Uh, essentially what happened is that we're very much focusing on, it was, in the beginning, it was very much a technology company. We built what's called an API, which is very much a technology solution to enable other systems, other technology to interact with our system. And they provide an input and we provide an output. So it's, it's all very technical, very much product-based, et cetera. What we found out is that um, APIs, so those kind of very technical solutions work, work very well for very simple, um, product offerings, but they don't work as well when it's not that clear what exactly, how exactly to interface, to interact with, with this technology. And so we soon found out that there was a fair amount of handholding that was needed mm-hmm. uh, for our clients. And so that we started add, adding layers and layers of, of, uh, of consulting. What we then landed on, and I'm going to say uh, 2017 or 18, is the business model of co-creation. Um, which is essentially the kind of the, the ultimate version of what I described, whereby um, the client has a problem that doesn't necessarily, that, that you don't start by saying, I have an artificial intelligence problem. You're just saying, I have a problem which may or may not involve some form of AI, some mm-hmm. form of natural language processing. Um, and then we engage in a conversation where we design a full-blown solution where our product, which is a very specific very, uh, product, is one of the components. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, for most of the, our kind of stakeholders on, on the client side, what they're interested in is the solution to their problem. And I'll provide examples in a moment. And, um, and, and so what we do is we work with the client, with all the kind of staff members, the team of the client, and potentially also with third parties to provide them with a full-blown solution where um, our product is just one of the components, and um, uh, and this uh, ends up being a fairly lengthy process because we need to build a proof of concept, we need to do integrations, uh, the, the various iterations potentially. But once the whole thing is um, is um, uh, kind of working, it has been approved, then they move on to a kind of a uh, ongoing. Uh, business model. So it's, it, we start out by providing services to do the, the whole integration, the product design for the client, and then move to a, um, uh, to a kind of an ongoing recurrent revenue type of model. Mm-hmm. And, and that's been the case, as I said, for a few years. And that obviously works primarily with fairly large companies uh, mm-hmm. that, that can uh, fundamentally um, 
where it makes sense for them to be the solution that is so bespoke to them, yeah. as opposed to you know trying to buy something off, off the shelf. Yeah, yeah. And um, so to give a very simple example, outside of insurance, and then I'll, I'll kind of give examples relating to insurance. Uh, one example is, is for a large um, manufacturing company, they build um, um, significant kind of systems that may have defects. And uh, um, when they need to uh, deal with those defects, that can be quite, quite important, quite critical. Um, that process can take hours, or in some cases, days. Um, and what that means is that there's a very highly skilled engineer that needs to look at this problem in very great detail to solve it for, for several hours or days, as I said. And um, um, lo and behold, what may have happened is that another colleague from another city potentially, or even a few desks away from him or her, um, may have solved a very similar problem three weeks before or three months before. And, and, um, and they never get to talk to each other because they don't know. So what we ended up doing with the client is we processed all the documents relating to all these defects that have been dealt with and with the solutions that have been designed by individuals. We pa passed all those documents, extracted the key information from those documents in such a way that then when a new defect would emerge, um, the engineer would be provided with all the most similar, most relevant um, cases that have happened in the past and uh, with the ambition to enable this person to validate that that the, the, the case was relevant and then quite often literally copy and paste mm -hmm. the solution to a new document. And so this led to improvements in the kind of 80% range so going from three hours to five minutes um, in, in many, many cases uh, in terms of solving problems uh, because so very often um, there's, um, there's repetition in those problems. So this is an example of, of obviously of what we describe as document automation. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, it may be clear that this solution is incredibly bespoke to this client. The type of defects, the type of solutions, the type of documents, even the process, and even the, the user interfaces that we had to build was completely bespoke to this client. This was kind of uh, several weeks, I think, to build a proof of concept that took, uh, I'm going to say, 16 weeks. Um, uh, and, and so, again, this is something that where the business case needs, needs to make sense for the client. So obviously this is a large company. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, that's interesting because it's such a, it's quite an abstract structure that, 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 of data that you're looking at. And, and, and it's kind of surprising how practical that application is. And I, th I think the reason I wanted to talk to you and, and, and reached out to you was that I think sort of AI and automation gets, um, gets people very hot under the collar, particularly around replacement replacing people you know that's the that's the big fear i think of people like losing jobs and replacing people um but what what's but but obviously that sounds like a, just a much more practical use of people's time you know um, you've, you've got you've got an engineer and you're essentially saying well we're, we're going to give that engineer just a, a sort of uh, a playbook um to go by which which is more efficient than just turning up with and and working through a much longer process a much longer checklist because um, you essentially surprise them ideas. Um, what do you kind of? You must have come across that kind of fear of of, of AI. Of what do, you know? What, what do you feel about that? What, what's your response when people kind of raise that as an issue? Um, so broadly speaking, there's a bit of a, the, the debate can be summarized as the distinction between uh, automation and augmentation, if you like, and uh, where augmentation, as exactly as you said, is uh, 
giving um, enabling machines to do the grunt work, the boring stuff, the basic stuff that that people sh- really shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. People shouldn't. I mean, ideally, people are not um, interested and even good at doing data entry. So, if a machine can do it, that would be ideal. Um, uh, and so. Uh, there are most of the processes we deal with that require augmentation. It's very, very rare that, that we look at a pure automation where 100% of the process happens. And normally what augmentation means, is, and case in point, with the one I was describing earlier, is that, is that nobody gets fired, but the people who are in place have more time to dedicate to really critical problems. Because what happens is that the defect that have been seen many times, you know, copy and paste the solution because that's always the same solution. The, you still need a human being to review that because there may be something critical and you need, actually in that case, you need someone to wet sign the solution easily. So there's no way the machine could ever automate the whole process. It would be frankly illegal in that particular context. Um, but, um, um, but it definitely saves a lot of time and that time can be dedicated to this very new strange new defects that, that can be incredibly relevant. And the people then have the time to perhaps think about new forms of new designs, new processes that enable the company to prevent those defects in the first place. So it really is beneficial way beyond the, 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 uh, the productivity improvement that we can look at. Um, hypothetically, there are scenarios where one generally subsidies 100% of the human effort with machines. I think we very rarely come across those kind of use cases because we normally work with machines and humans kind of working together as it were. Mm-hmm. So um, um, the more there's human judgment and skill that is required for any process, um, uh, the less one should be worried about about that, and uh, and um, and I think that's definitely the case, uh, especially in the type of insurance that is relevant to to, uh, for instance, the light market, yeah. uh, because uh, um, so much of that is unusual, is is hard to replicate. It's it's a, a lot of one-offs in many in many cases. So, um, in that context, it, to me, it's quite clear that there's very little that can be fully automated, and there's a lot that um, can be done to enable people to just spend their time in more, more, more efficient, more, uh, frankly, satisfying endeavors. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that I touch on all the time. Is that you know, obviously, I'm in, I'm in the realm of of, of, of working with people looking for new jobs and, and new opportunities and, and and trying to find the best talent. And and one of the things that frustrates people is. Uh, and forces people to move is if the structure of their job means that they're doing more mundane tasks. Um, you know, claims is always a really good example for me is that, you know, people in the claims market want to focus on the complex, difficult, unique claims that um, they need their skills and experience for. What they don't want to be doing is is processing claims that are, you know, straightforward and, and, and could be automated. Um, what was, um, you know, sort of going on to that, obviously you, you came to the Lloyd's Lab, presented to kind of essentially your, your skill set almost. And, and yeah. The business. Yeah. What, what was the kind of Lloyd's response? Um, where did they, did they sort of suggest where they thought the biggest use case for this would be? Or? Yes. So what happened is that um, 
we primarily talk to, as I said, the Lloyd's market participants as opposed to Lloyd's in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lloyd's has been looking at this type of problems for a long time with, with other kind of solution providers. So, so we're mostly focused on, on, um, on the participants. And uh, so we had a team of, I'm going to say, about eight different companies that were mm-hmm. quite involved. And, um, and uh, in the beginning of the process, we were meeting weekly. And uh, there was very good engagement and very heated conversations about exactly what you said, where, where to focus the effort. And, um, and the difficulty was not to find use cases, quite the opposite. The use cases were just like a long list. Uh, remember, probably we got 20 possible use cases. Wow. The difficult thing was to find something that was not already overlapping with some efforts that were already existing. Uh, because um, regardless of whether um, those efforts were going anywhere or not, still you don't want to necessarily step on, on something that was already somehow happening. And so um, one use case that, that felt uh, that, that very much kind of made sense to a lot of people had to do with uh, uh, the uh, essentially managing the inflow of uh, underwriting, uh, underwriting um, uh, kind of opportunities for an underwriting company. Because essentially what happens is that um, a lot of the, the, the context that they get from brokers are not entirely relevant. They're not the right risk profile, they're not the right kind of sector, they're not the right line of business, et cetera. And so um, and within the company, there's a lot of data capture to be done. There's a lot of back and forth with the broker to get the right information, et cetera. And so that was perceived as a fairly inefficient process and one that, again, lends itself to a fair amount of automation. And um, interestingly, there is a little bit of overlap with some work that, that has to do with kind of standardizing a lot of this type of communication, but the belief um, of, of, um, of a lot of the, the, the people in, in the team, if you like, in our, in our team of, of mentors, was that this would take too long and it would never be quite perfect. So the, having a solution that uh, streamlines that process is, uh, is um, quite compelling. And um, in the first instance, the perception was that it was very much about information extraction. You have a big document, maybe an Excel spreadsheet, some PDFs with 80 pages, and an email with a lot of disparate information. You want a system that just picks up the right information so that that um, you don't need a person to read through the whole thing to pick up all the right um, data, but also it's less error prone. As, you know, as I said before, people are not really necessarily very good at data entry. Um, so that was the first, in the, the kind of very first kind of idea, but in reality that became a bit much bigger because uh, um, what's also possible is almost like to manage the, the inflow of, of contacts that people get and kind of coordinate it. So making sure that the right information goes to the right people, the people who are best placed to deal with those kind of um, uh, requests and, and also possible to kind of capture the data to really have a better sense of what's coming in um, and uh, and so that can help to kind of build the right type of te- the right type of teams to deal with the 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 the, the, need, the new needs potentially also insight in terms of the, the the new types of requests that are coming in to to potentially identify new type of um, product or solutions that, that may uh, may be relevant mm-hmm. because at the moment um, if something doesn't um, if an if a, uh, underwriter request doesn't meet the criteria, it just gets discarded. Mm-hmm. But, but if it were possible to actually save all that information, that could build um, 
a fairly um, interesting database that, that can build, uh, that can assist in strategy development or product development for the, for the company. So this was um, um, very much an idea that, that resonated with a lot of people. And, um, and so we spent, um, uh, let's say, the three weeks defining this idea and then the, the remaining ones kind of designing some sort of a, a product um, uh, or rather mocking up a product more precisely that could solve this problem. And it's obviously it's a complex problem with a lot of detail, et cetera. So, so we, we, um, uh, we got all the way to uh, uh, some mockups and some, some design of a flow that made sense to, to our audience. And, uh, and, and that's what we presented at the end to the, at the Lloyd's Lab, uh, mm. at the demo, at the final demo. Okay. Yeah, and, and 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 what's happened since then? If, have you uh, have you sort of because yeah. obviously insurance was new? Is it something that you're sort of continuing to engage with, or are you looking to engage with? Yes. So it was uh, uh, it was um, very interesting what happened after that, and also um, I think by and large quite in line with our experience outside of insurance. So I think what is specific to insurance is probably that it's such a heavily doc document-based industry on one hand. And, uh, but on the other hand, uh, if we look at the, the Lloyd's market is that um, it's so driven by relationship, it's also unique that there's, um, for some of the participants, there's a perception that it's very hard to automate. It's, it's also Driven by by uh, you know intuition and and and, uh, and people and expertise that is so hard to transfer into a machine that mm -hmm. a lot of people have the perception that well it's impossible to automate and obviously that's not really the debate that one should have the question is what are the tasks that you're doing that are inefficient that's really uh, a, a more a more productive way of thinking about this mm -hmm. and so as we, we we did this project it was very interesting because. We started engaging with a few uh, companies on that specific use case. But as we um, presented this to a broader audience, more and more companies, and including brokers, um, came to us with new ideas. And so it was very much, it was similar to the first experience where people kind of got quite excited coming up with their own ideas of, of, um, of applications. And uh, so we ended up probably talking to some 15 different kind of uh, market participants. Um, and um, with each of them slowly uh, but surely kind of progressed um, uh, towards some sort of a definition of a use case that was fairly precise and that can then uh, be dealt with by, by uh, let's say, our process. Mm -hmm. and, um, and what ended up happening is that this process was slow enough that it dragged all the way to, um, to COVID times. Mm. And, uh, and so uh, at the end, uh, um, it, it was quite interesting to see the various reasons why nothing properly concrete has happened yet. Mm. And this has been about a year, uh, over a year by now. Um, in some cases, essentially, the reason why nothing concrete has moved, has happened, those reasons are not too different from the reasons why it hasn't happened in other industries. So essentially, um, most companies, most large companies that are not necessarily natively data-driven or natively digital um, haven't 
figured out necessarily how to engage with external parties to solve some of these problems. And uh, um, sometimes the question is, should they engage with an external party or not? Or should they look for a off-the-shelf solution or try something bespoke? And, uh, and sometimes this, even these questions already create a block that is insurmountable. So even when they start to engage, the definition of a use case can take a long time. Taking all the stakeholders on board can take time. Finding the right uh, people who want to offer the budget, that, that's not uh, necessarily trivial. Uh, prioritizing it all the way to, 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 to put it into action. So there's a number of stars that need to align effectively. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and those ones are probably not that specific to insurance necessarily. It's, it's, a, it's a challenge for, for most large companies. Um, uh, and, uh, and what we find interesting is that, from my point of view, it's quite interesting to see that um, the companies that have somehow, by luck or by, by skill, managed to solve that problem once, they almost build a muscle that enables them to, to then do it much, much faster afterwards. They have the right processes in place, the right contractual um, agreements, the right people, uh, the right skills in place, um, so that then uh, they can uh, do these processes much, much faster. And it's an enormous benefit to them. They can really speed up uh, all of this. And so what we often find ourselves uh, advising is that it's painful the first time because there's so much that Surprising needs to be set up in terms of mindset, in terms of processes, in terms of um, skills. But if uh, if people give up, then uh, they just delay the inevitability. That, that sooner or later, that needs to happen. That pain needs to need to happen. That that painful process needs to. Uh, we, we people need to go through that to then be able to become much more skilled at that. It's a, it's a, it's almost like a muscle that they need to build. Mm. And if uh, our capability, internal capability, and if that doesn't happen, you're just delaying the ine inevitable because sooner or later, those those kind of that, those automated processes will 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 arrive. Mm. So one maybe uh, it's rare for those companies to be necessarily the pioneers of that process, but but you don't necessarily want to be very, the kind of the latest one to join that that yeah. uh, that that movement. I, know, I mean, I think someone described, I thought it was a really interesting comment um, uh, as a guy that's a consultant for sort of insurtech businesses, um, uh, Nick, and he said to me that, you know, insurance is a fast follower industry, you know, it, it's not, doesn't tend to kind of lead on a lot of this stuff, but it's, but it can be quick to follow. So I definitely think you sort of, you get the culture and it's interesting for me because you, you see sort of people embrace change. And obviously most of my role is looking at change because where there's change, there's, you know, needs to hire and new people and new culture. Um, and then once the sort of industry embraces, uh, you know, data science, for example, once the sort of business has started to embrace data science, you then had a cohort of data scientists that were kind of blooded in the insurance industry. So they had that. And then what happens is that they they move to different businesses and you start to kind of then get the kind of infiltration of that culture. And now, you know, it, it's obviously very normal to have a data science team and, and kind of, it's very different what they all do. And, and there's still some very loose kind of, you know, what they bring to the insurance market is different depending on what person you speak to. Sure. <laughs> but the culture of having one exists. And I think this is similar for automation. If you've got a business that embraces change, 
um, and they're the first people to do it, then what tends to happen is that those people get, they move around the market and they bring that culture with them. Um, because it seems to me that culture seems to be the biggest obstacle that you face for any type of change, whether it be um, bringing in automation or, or anything else. No, absolutely, absolutely. It's, uh, it's definitely not a technology or a product challenge. It's very much a cultural challenge. Uh, the thing is, we've seen this working in, in contexts that are, you know, fundamentally quite similar to, to insurance. And so we've seen when it works, it's very much down to culture and down to, frankly, resilience and kind of and, and grit to go through the obstacles that, that you need the individuals that we need to believe in this enough to, to go through compliance, to go through legal, to go through IT and just keep pushing because they know that that's the only way for, for that to happen. And, um, and, uh, and as you said, and a lot of the, the, the cultural change can happen with new skills that are coming from uh, uh, slightly more junior ranks, if you like. Yeah. But there's also a need for, for, for the, the senior team to be appreciative of this. And, uh, and sometimes that's harder because, uh, um, uh, you know, senior leaders come from a, from a background that is um, not necessarily natively digital. And so... Um, some of them we find are very keen to adopt these new, these new technologies, but, but then the expectations are not necessarily always aligned with reality. And so the, when you talk about automation, people kind of, again, either mistrust it or perceive it as a bit of a magic wand that, um, that you know, removes processes altogether. And, um, and uh, unfortunately, the reality is more um, uh, nuanced and, uh, and uh, uh, it takes effort to, to get to a level of automation where you may end up automating 70%, 80% of the process. And that, when you quantify it, the ROI is incredible. Uh, like, but but um, um, uh, one needs to move from uh, the, the, the idea of automating things as kind of an abstract concept to the gritty reality of the effort that it takes, the, this, the weeks uh, of effort of training systems on, on really really understanding what kind of information is needed for what, uh, how to change the processes, all of that. And, uh, and, uh, and obviously the cultural change you were referring to, um, to then deliver the ROI. It's one of the challenges, like one of the biggest challenges, it seems to me, that um, is defining what success looks like for automation. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, uh, and so we, we, when we pitch this kind of process, uh, this kind of project, quite often um, we want to show people that you don't go from 100% manual to 100% automated. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so what, and again, the example was mentioned before about the defect is a case in point. And what happens is that first you identify kind of low hanging fruits of things that can easily be automated because they're very, very similar to what's been done, et cetera. And, um, and then, uh, and you capture that and the value begins to be significant. But what you really do, that's not the end. What you really do is you start to identify the processes that enable this automation and, and how to have a bit of a hybrid system of partly human, partly automated, if you like. And, uh, and, um, and so then there's a the next stage where you kind of expand the automation aspect. And some of that is uh, pure, pure automated. The whole process is pure automated. Some of that is augmented where the, the person is gonna, uh, is gonna work on the same task, but it's gonna take 50% of the time, for instance. And so mm -hmm. you start to have a situation where 
30% is fully uh, uh, aligned with the old ways, as it were. 30% is, uh, let's say, augmented, and 40% is fully automated. And then you keep progressing, and hopefully you see the chart kind of shifting towards um, a more and more efficient process where less and less requires a full-time effort of a, of a person and more can be aided by the machine. And this can take, you know, uh, it can take weeks in some cases, it can take months in other cases, depending very much on the circumstances. And, uh, and so again, it's um, uh, for someone who uh, hopes to, 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 to see the system being completely streamlined, completely auto automated, it can be disappointing. And, uh, but, but that's reality. That's the only way to get there. And ultimately, in the gross scheme of things, the six months are definitely worth the effort. Mm. And, uh, and again, as I was saying, once you, once you start looking at the ROI, it, it, it can be quite incredible. Mm. And, it's, and it's not just, I think it's easy to get pulled into the conversation of when you automate, you instantly save money. Um, and, and while that objectively might be the long-term view, because if you automate tasks and you're not paying people manually to do it, then by nature that, that will continue to get more efficient and, and it will save money from an ROI point of view. But as you were talking, I was just thinking, going back to that thing about people doing meaningful work, having time to do that. One, you've got potentially a happier workforce, but one would imagine there's a lot of opportunity to add quality, you know, to add add premium to the product and whether it be insurance or manufacturing or anything else you know you, you've got time to produce a better product or a better service or um and that's a better use of your time because even if the kind of cost base is the same because you might still need to employ that person for the same exactly the same amount of hours and actually you've potentially got an additional cost of running the automation process but if that allows you to come out the back end with a better quality product you can charge more for it so the sort of the maths of it will still work, um, even if there's kind of a not not a directly attributable cost save on the automation. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that the, the way we sometimes we summarize it is uh, is that um, sometimes companies come for the productivity gain, but stay for the for the byproducts that they didn't expect. Mm -hmm. And uh, and um, the thing is, when you do a project like that, it's very hard to say. Uh, you're gonna have gains that are intangible. So, because people, you know, they're investing money, it doesn't have to be a lot of money, but you know, um, some sort of budget they, they need to kind of think about an ROI. So it's, it's easy to say, well, the productivity gain is there. And then uh, obviously, as you said, you may not, you may need to redeploy people. Um, and so, but, but, but to say that the same process instead of three hours takes five minutes, it's intuitively uh, a clear gain. Um, but exactly as you said, regardless of, of, uh, of ultimately how the company manages this productivity gains, uh, there's, as you said, there's a number of other benefits. So one of them is, is what you pointed to, the, the fact that people will no longer feel uh, um, you know, drained by, by performing mundane tasks that, that obviously should be automated. And that's very, very important. So less turnover, more satisfaction, et cetera. Another one is uh, the, the time, the quality time that this team can dedicate to other tasks that can be value-adding and, and quite innovative. And then the third one is the data that you're gathering that can be incredibly valuable. And, uh, and that was very much the case in, in, in the project that I was describing earlier, that to, for instance, reduce the number of defects in that particular case. But in the case of insurance would have been to capture new opportunities that you wouldn't expect because you haven't been focusing on them. And um, um, because, uh, yeah, that's not part of your core business necessarily. So um, 
a bit, it's, it's easier to justify this with productivity gains because that gets the door open. But in hindsight, when people succeed and they look back, probably the main benefit is not going to be that. It's going to be something else. It can be the, the analytics, it can be on top of that, it can be the, the, the kind of new projects that have been possible because those people have been liberated from those mundane tasks. So, so uh, ultimately, when you look at an organization that automates the right stuff, it just makes more sense. Mm. It, just, it just really, uh, you let the machines do the, what, what they're good at, and, uh, and, um, and then uh, uh, people are liberated to do what they're good at. And uh, it, the benefits are, are kind of spread throughout the organization in a very positive manner. Mm. Yeah, that, that's um, yeah. I think that's such a good summation. Um, you know, let the let the machines do what they're good at, and the people do what they're good at. It's, exactly. It sounds so obvious, but um, I, th- I think there's a risk of um, um, we we can underplay. And I think when when AI has become very much a buzzword of the industry, particularly, you know, it's been insurance has been in, in love with it as an idea and as a term. Um, we don't delve into that enough. I mean, it's been the same in my industry. You know, there's a hell of a lot of work yeah. that can be can be automated, and you know, I think it's easy to get defensive because you you think it's devaluing what you're doing. But 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 if you look at it for another glass, you say, well, what's the thing you're you're better at? And it and, and it would be the interaction with people. It would be the management of kind of like the the, the, the fit, but. And, and you can spend more time doing that. You can spend more time with your clients and your candidates, in my example, than, than, than spending time on, on, on kind of putting research documents together, which is a lot of my work. Um, I, I was going to ask you, and I'm unconscious of time, but I think this is probably a good question to sort of um, wrap things up on. So if you're a business thinking about automating or think about sort of looking at these sorts of solutions, what's the best thing you can, what are the best things you can do um, I don't know. There's probably an endless amount, but what's the top three things no. you can do to get to get ready for to to look at automating some of your processes? Yes. So uh, ironically, I feel like to get this um, going, it's all about people first and foremost. So um, you need a, a team or at least an individual that are champions. Not necessarily of automation in and of itself. Automation in and of itself mm. is not a value, but of uh, of some sort of modernization of processes, and uh, and in some in some companies you need to ring fence some sort of budget. In other companies you need to have targets that are spread through the organization. But somehow there needs to be an impetus that comes from the top that this needs to happen, and uh, and uh, and there needs to be champions for that to happen. And um, once the right people are in place, uh, they uh, they need to identify use cases. In some companies, the right skills to identify the right use cases are already in the company. In other companies, they're not. And so it becomes absolutely critical to find the right partners. Um, there's a lot of snake oil being sold out there. There's a lot of... Uh, um, I'm glad you said Ultimately, <laughs> there's a lot of people who are trying to, you know, who are trying to use the same hammer on everything, even though it's not the right nail, as it were, mm-hmm. um, to just switch to different metaphor. And uh, uh, so it's incredibly important to find a partner that just handles you in the right place. And, uh, and ultimately, they are um, trying to support you for a long-term relationship. And, uh, um, uh, and so what that, and then that once you've identified a use case that makes sense from a, from a, 
company point of view, from a commercial point of view, and also from a technology point of view, it's feasible that where it's conceivable that you get to an, an end result within budget, within the right time frames, et cetera. Then you need the patience to engage the right people, change some processes to be able to, um, uh, you know, have proof of concept that, that, that uh, from a budget point of view, can make sense. And uh, um, sometimes it involves finance or legal or IT, you know, depending on the context. And, uh, and so that's the groundwork, the boring groundwork that needs to happen, but they not only need to happen once, uh, because once you get that muscle built, you know, the first time it's hard, the second time it's a bit easier, then the third time it gets kind of easy, and then everybody kind of gets involved in that. And, um, uh, and so it takes a bit of patience for those times, but then uh, uh, the benefits become clear. And the first success, really gives a lot of energy motivation for further successes to happen. Mm -hmm. so, um, so my recommendation is to have a bit of patience and, uh, and, uh, and, um, and uh, trust in the fact that these things, when they work, they work amazingly well. And, uh, and it can become a competitive advantage, especially now. Probably in two or three years from now, this will become more and more uh, commoditized and definitely 10 years from now. But it's absolutely possible to deliver um, uh, benefit right now and uh, it doesn't have to break the bank it it's uh, it doesn't have to be disruptive it doesn't have to introduce any form of kind of issues with security confidentiality privacy anything like that it's doable it's very practically doable it just requires a bit of patience mm -hmm. and and a bit of um, uh, enthusiasm let's say uh, at all levels be it senior level it compliance legal uh, obviously the people involved in the process in the first place so, um, uh, so it's worth the effort. We've seen it working and when it works, it, it definitely makes a difference. So it's worth the effort. I definitely would recommend it. Yeah, brilliant. Well, look, that's a really good, good, good place to end it. And, um, and I, can, I can promise everyone out there that I didn't tell Marco that it was all about hiring the right people to, uh, <laughs> or having the right people in the business to initiate automation. But if, uh, if anyone does need anyone, I know a few good people. Um, <laughs> Marco, where can people contact you? Where's the best place for those insurance people out there looking to automate via the website or have you got an email address? Or Yes, uh, the email address is marco at retechnica.com, M-A-R-C-O at retechnica.com. And um, uh, they can go to the Retechnica website or they can go to our product website. It's called Ingenia API. And so that's also um, a good place where to find us. And, uh, but ultimately, it's very much about having a very open-ended conversation. We're very uh, pragmatic and quick in saying whether we're the right fit or not. And if not, we're still trying to be helpful and kind of point in the right direction. If we're the right fit, um, we'll try to design a solution uh, that makes sense before getting, getting hands dirty so that um, we have a process where we try to minimize risk and costs and, uh, and, and time for the client before um uh getting all um involved in the project so no harm in having a first conversation and see what happens absolutely well uh, it's been an absolute pleasure thank you very much for being a guest um super interesting and i think there's loads coming next year and and you know if anything's been taught by this year it's kind of the need for kind of more digitization absolutely. insurance industry so um thank you once again uh really appreciate your time and um yeah i'll catch up with you very soon Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Mark.
that was Marco of Retechnica. Thank you to Marco for being a great guest and spending some time with me. I really enjoyed that. Um, as always, uh, this episode was brought to you by FinPro. FinPro is an executive search business operating across the insurance and insure tech space. Um, I've been your host, Alex Bond, and I always look forward to getting some feedback from you um, if you're kind enough to give it, um, good or bad. It's, it's, it's all useful uh, in trying to make the podcast the best podcast in the insurance or insure tech arena. Um, to that end, if you want to visit our website to find out more about our services or get in touch, please do. And, um, uh, that is www.wearefinpro.com. Alternatively, you can reach out to me directly. That's alex at wearefinpro.com. Or, of course, you'll be able to get in touch with me or the business on LinkedIn. Um, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Um, look out for another one next week. We come out every week. This has been episode 18 of the Leadership and Insurance Podcast.